Hey, what's up? This week we have a two-part bonus episode for you. We're interviewing leaders in robotics, AMRs, and logistics. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? This episode's going to be a little different from what you're normally used to on Manufacturing Happy Hour. As mentioned, it's coming at you in two parts because we have a total of 12 interviews with leaders in robotics, automation, autonomous mobile robots, as well as logistics that we compiled during this year's A3 AMR and Logistics Conference in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, some of you might remember back in episode 64, we interviewed Jeff Bernstein, who is the fearless leader over at A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. And that was right before their AMRs and logistics conference down in Memphis. It took place in mid-October 2021. In many ways, this episode is really a state of the state in terms of what's taking place in autonomous mobile robots and robotics in general. And in this episode, we're going to do the first six interviews that we did with some of the leaders that were at this show. These are all about five to 10 minutes each. So a little different from our normal full length interviews, but there are a couple other things different as well that you can expect from this episode. First, it was done live. So you'll hear us commenting on some of the things that were both planned and spontaneous taking place at the show. Just excuse some of the background noise that you might be hearing in the background. Second, it was kind of a reunion, right? There are a number of past guests from Manufacturing Happy Hour that will be appearing in these episodes. Then finally, maybe the most unique thing about it is these episodes are co-hosted with Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial. You might remember him from back in episode 41 where we did a full-length interview with him, but today he is writing co-pilot, and quite frankly, I couldn't be happier because he is certainly a robotics expert and a great person to have asking questions to the folks on this episode. If you want to learn more, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash AMRL2021. This is a way to link up with all the guests and companies that appeared on this show. And I know we need to get into the episode, but before we start, I do want to thank A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, for making these interviews and, quite frankly, making this show possible. So with that, let's dive into today's interviews. Today's episode is going to feature Ed Mullen of Mir. Eric Nieves of Plus One Robotics, Joe Gemma of Calvary Robotics, Ryan Finelli of Humatics, Carol Franklin of A3, and Roger Christian of Yaskawa Motoman. We're going to be covering everything from integrators to AMRs to the technologies that go on them to the safety behind them. So with that, we're going to dive into our first conversation. Let's talk to one of the biggest names in AMRs, Mir, where we're going to be chatting with Ed Mullen, and we'll get a little taste as to why we should be so excited about AMRs right now. All right, this is an exciting one. We are here with Ed Mullen from Mobile Industrial Robots, Mir, as many people know you as. And and Jake, you and I both have stories about how we learned about Mir. In yeah. fact, um, uh, we had uh, Robex on episodes 40 and 45 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. I got to see their facility 
and uh, got to see your stuff firsthand. That's really one where of our I most learned. exciting certified system integrators today. Yeah, yeah. they're they're doing they're, they're always doing something new, and they're doing it right as well, which is what's pretty cool. So uh, check out Robex if you get a chance to do that. But Jake, what was your podcast story? number? Forty and forty-five. 40 we got them. We got them back in the catalog. So. Yeah, and and Ed and I go back to 2015, 2016, back when I was at a automation distributor, and this is just when AMRs were just becoming a thing. There was some mute conversations, and I can't remember somewhere through the AHCD network, Ed and I started talking, and 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 my previous place started talking, and we actually sold and integrated some of the first Mir robots in the state of Michigan um, when kicking things off. So Ed and I go back five, six years as well when Mir was really kicking things off here in the U.S. But we didn't come here to reminisce about all our Mir stories today. We, we want to hear it from it's you. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, this, is, this is your feature. So in Manufacturing Happy Hour fashion, we got to ask you, if we were having a drink right now at one of the bars down on Beale Street, you know, how would you describe what Mir does to someone that's just learning about you? So just a super exciting company. I mean, it's a, it's a company that developed a business model to, to build a mobile platform that's configurable. So I like to refer, us, refer to us as we're just a tool in a toolbox. And the flavor of the, the solution can be so many different things. And why is that so important? Well, we just don't target ourselves to one specific industry. So we're here today for logistics, but that's not our story. You know, we're, we, we have some great opportunities in logistics and we're moving forward in that. But I mean, we're in automotive, we're in semiconductor, we're in food, we're in hospitals. I mean, the, the, the business model behind the company is just so fascinating because we just appeal to so many different industries. And, and as you guys know, the, the, the growth in this, this area is just epic right now and we haven't even scratched the surface. So it, I can't wait to see what the next five years brings with, uh, you know, mobile technology and airports and hospitals and uh, and in our everyday lives. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, Mir is playing a part in that. And, and we're able to touch a little bit of everything right now, yeah. which is exciting. And, and Mir's growing as well. I mean, just from when I first sold Mir to where we are now, there's been some other players that have come to the table. Um, most recently would have been, what, 2018, 2019? What, what happened with, uh, with Mir? So, uh, you know, a little bit of a dynamic between uh, Mir and Universal Robot. Yeah. So, uh, originated out of the same city in, uh, in Odense, Denmark. Um, some of the same founders, uh, you know, for, for both companies uh, kind of played a role there. And uh, so, yeah, exciting times. We all know UR was acquired, um, you know, early on in uh, 2014, I believe, by uh, Teradyne. Uh, 2018, Teradyne, uh, you know, came to us and uh, put together a really nice deal, and uh, and is now our parent company, which again is is a is a key propellant to to really what we are going after, which is not only you know expanding the breadth of our product, but also expanding the intelligence and uh, you know bringing AI and improving that planning uh, algorithm that's embedded in our robot, and that's all stuff that that Teradyne is now contributing to, as well as you know keeping our costs down and uh, and developing a manufacturing practice that's uh that's world class and i think that's a story that's you know chris this is this is I, I can't remember what interview this is but one of the things that's coming away with all of these conversations is you know product interaction and and communication and collaboration with and that's something we're to see where 
you know, universal robotics, mobile industrial robot, collaborative space, but how are they working together? How are we sharing resources? But at the end of the day, how are we pushing products to work better alongside operators? Right. And I think that's a big takeaway from this is AMRs and, and, and this world of, of, of robotics is not here to replace operators. They're here to work alongside and, and continue right. to grow the industry. Yeah, and the intelligence hasn't even scratched the surface yet. All the, both of these companies are investing heavily on making their products smarter. And, yep. uh, and that overall improves efficiency, and that's really where it becomes an appeal. And I'm not sure if you guys even know, but uh, you know, Teradyne is now financing a robot hub in Onsa, Denmark, where now you are and Mir will actually be in the same campus. Mm, um, yeah. And it's this—it's a, it's a really a fantastic endeavor. I mean, it's going to really going to bring a lot of a lot of incubation to the to the uh, to the field, and um, and uh, excited to see what yeah. that that does for us. So it's actually funny. Right now, we have some guys from Robex walking by, and uh, they're all giving <laughs> us thumbs up right now, which actually, like, perfectly on cue, kind of leads us into this next question on a conversation we had earlier: certified systems integrators. Is that what it is? Certified yes, CSIs. Oh, yes. CSIs. Yes. Let's talk about the importance of CSIs and, yeah. and why is that such a strategic partnership of, of Mir? So yeah, probably one of the most exciting things that we as a, as a team within Mir are working on is it's really our, our, our um, focus is to, to really develop this part of the business to be really the main propellant to, to take us to the next level. And you know, if I look back at the business over the last six years, um, distribution was our is is still our main main channel to sales, um, but they're the reason that we are successful uh, today. Um, they uh, played a very important part, which is taking the technology out to the field and and being an educator behind what an AMR really is. And they continue to do that today. But what we're starting to see is uh, is these one and two and three piece seed units that our distribution channel planted over the last five years are starting to turn into 30, 40, 60, 70 piece deployments over, you know, six different you know sister facilities, and uh, and that's a little bit outside of our our distribution channels capabilities. So for that reason, we're going after, you know, really uh, powerful companies like Robex that are really setting themselves up with the personnel and the reach to, and the skill sets to go out and, and not only do these proof of concepts and successfully develop solutions um, to, to what the problems are, but, but actually deploy them and support them. Um, and, uh, and because of that need, uh, we're seeing the CSI channel starting to develop and evolve and really become a key contributor to our success. So I have a, I have a question as, as we get towards the, the end of this portion of the conversation. I, I'm wondering, how does someone like yourself, or how does anyone get into the AMR space in this day and age? This was, you know, this is an industry that relatively new in the grand scheme of things. And I'm curious, what this is more of a personal career question, but what, what got you into this space? Because you're clearly enthusiastic about it. I'm curious, what, what background gets you there? Yeah. Hmm. Yes. I, you're right. I, um, I, I, I find that from personally, from, from, from my skills and my, my personality, this, I am so passionate about what we're doing. I was very fortunate to be a, a part of the, the UR launch in, in the U S I was fortunate to be, uh, to be part of the mirror launch and just seeing what this technology can do for, for us as a manufacturing uh, world is just fascinating to me. But how do you get involved in this? Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a degreed engineer, been been in automation my entire life as a design engineer, also working for distribution. 
Um, it's something that I think if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to uh, you're not going to succeed in it. And uh, it's probably the most important thing that I look for when I hire people today is uh, is yeah, everybody can get an education, everybody can understand you know me mechatronics, but uh, but if you're not passionate about what you're doing, um, it's tough to to have a career in it and and, and last. So, um, so good career advice to wrap things up, but you yeah. look like you have yeah. something to add. So, to this. so that 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 really just scooted another thing about getting involved. Um, and there's something we all sit at this table, and if if Aaron was sitting next to me as well um, from FedEx, he would be hitting me along the side of the head for not bringing it up. Let's talk about eCami. And I think eCami is one of those stories that has a lot of success and some big partnership with with Mirror Radio. So eCami, for those of you who are not listening, is um, the East Kentucky. Oh my gosh, Ed, you might know this. Yeah, I just call him eCami. Yeah, I think it's Advanced Manufacturing Institute. Yeah, Eastern Kentucky Advanced Manufacturing Institute. And there's a phenomenal story there that's talking about how there's ex coal miners and people who've been in um, you know prison as well, and just all these other people who never had this focus on manufacturing automation and Mir was one of the partners that has worked with eCami and continued to work with eCami to train the next generation of technicians and employees and there's actually a lot of success stories out here because I'm hearing from um, Kathy and Barbie down at eCami Mir's hiring every single person you know about well, that's coming out from that and again it just program. goes back to what I was referring to before it's the passion and the enthusiasm yeah. and uh, and to me it's a personal touch it's yeah. uh my guys are on the front line, tech support, you know, problematic type of roles. They're not the, uh, they're not getting pats on the back every day. You know, we don't get phone calls. Hey, your robot's running great. Thanks for the service. You know, we don't get those type of calls every day. These guys are on the front line. How do you fix this? This isn't working. And, uh, and you need personal skills and you need passion and want it, the, the desire to, to, uh, to see something to, to the end and help somebody. And, and that's what eCami is really producing. They, they, they're putting, putting these, uh, these young, even middle-aged guys, girls through these uh, training curriculums. And these people really want to succeed. They're so blessed to, to, uh, to have an opportunity because they, they didn't have the opportunity to go to, go to college and, uh, and, and better themselves. Uh, so they, they get this opportunity put in front of them and they're so thankful and they're so uh, just, just enthusiastic to just have the, the ability to work in this industry. And, uh, and it's reflective of their work. Yep. You know they've done great things. Uh, we've 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 hired two already. Um, looking for for more, and uh, and I'll continue to source out of eCami because uh, I just hope they they can uh, they can franchise it and do it do it in other areas of the, of the country because it's really paying dividends in uh, in Kentucky right now. Yeah. So if you're not familiar, please uh, go online. I think it's eCami.com or just head over to Google and search eCami. Uh, just some phenomenal stories of of how we're we're changing um you know the demand for skilled labor right now and the gap for the labor um industry it's some phenomenal stories and the last question i have is how do we how do we connect with Mir? right this shouldn't be hard because we we obviously have found you pretty yeah. easily as well what's the best way to find you so uh more folks can have reminiscent stories about your company like jake and i well you know uh from a business standpoint um you know we've got uh you know over 45 distributors oh, Sorry about that. Nice. Uh, we've, we've got over 40, calling 40, right now. 45 <laughs> distributors uh, uh, th throughout the country that, um, that you know, will we'll feel phone calls and they'll, they'll push demos out to you. Um, I'm based in New York. I've got an office in San Diego. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, I think we're, we're, 
very reachable on, on that level. And the website, one more time, just so we got that. It's uh, it's mobileindustrialrobots.com. Mobileindustrial, mobileindustrialrobots.com. Ed, thank you so much for jumping on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So a couple big things from that first interview to highlight. First, Universal Robots, Teradyne, and Mir are all under one umbrella. You're going to be hearing a lot about partnerships and acquisitions throughout these conversations. Second, Certified Systems Integrators. As we hinted at, this wasn't the first time we talked about AMRs on this show. We did a full interview with Craig Francisco, one of the integrators for Mir, back in episode 45, where we actually touched on this topic quite a bit. So if you do want to learn more, there is content in the catalog that features that. Finally, eCami. This is a great program for getting folks trained in manufacturing for whom manufacturing might not have been available to in the past. And actually, I do want to make a quick correction on the website. It's ekyami.com. So E-K-Y-A-M-I.com if you want to learn more. All right, it's time to jump into our next interview where it's never too early to start talking about the human element of robotics. Our guest is going to cover this as well as breaking down one of the most important technologies in industrial robotics. So let's get you introduced and see what he has to say. All right, we are joined by Eric Nieves, founder of Plus One Robotics, whose name I can pronounce correctly. You as did of fine ago. on the first try. Good <laughs> on you, mate. <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, you know, we, we mentioned it's Manufacturing Happy Hour. We've been hanging out with you here at the conference. Um, but explain what Plus One Robotics does as if we're hanging out, grabbing a drink with one another. Uh, you know, what does Plus One do? You can't do meaningful work in a warehouse with robots if the robots can't see. That's true for mobile robots, but it's also true for picking arms, and that's where we specialize. We make the vision system that attaches to that industrial robot to give the robot the sense of perception it needs to discriminate that hot mess of stuff that's in front of it and be able to pick out what needs to go down the line next. Plus One is a 3D vision software house. Love it. Jake, you're up. Yeah, so... A lot of exciting announcements. You know, we're here at the AMRO conference. It feels like a bunch of family getting back together again. And there was a recent partnership that just was announced between Locus and Plus One Robotics. First of all, congratulations. That's uh, some exciting news. And, you know, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, we're so excited about this. So um, any workflow in a warehouse is some combination of mobility manipulation and storage, Yeah. right? That's all you got. You got people with forklifts, uh, you got people with stuff in their hands, and you've got racks or you know some kind of storage unit, right? So uh, between Locus and Plus One, you can imagine the types of workflows that we can support those warehouse operators with now. So if you, you know, have a chance to visit the booth, you can see our robots doing picking out of a donor tote that then feeds orders that are on a locust bot. So the locust bot, it, you know, comes in, it's got a couple of destination totes, we load them up, locust bot drives off, another locust bot shows up, the robot never stops picking. So just as locust does with put walls today, where it's, you know, a follow me robot, imagine a locust robot tied to a picking arm. That is the vision that Plus One and Locus are collaborating on because the warehouse needs as much support as they can get. 
Absolutely. And and so we're talking partnership under the Zebra umbrella. Um, in addition to that, you have other partners as well, and those are your system integrators partners and there's like no short list of this in fact jake you've got the list in front of you Rat- yeah. rattle off a couple these are, of these are fun that i thought of you know pearson mcri robex calvary robotics who you heard from yesterday with joe um mission design just to name a few you know what's the importance of these partnerships to plus one yeah absolutely so the warehouse automation space is broad and deep and no direct sales force can possibly expect to meet all of that requirement, right? So you need some kind of scale. And there's a couple of options, right? You could just staff up and say, I'm having a big direct sales channel and we're gonna go knock on a bunch of doors. But these warehouses have been around for a long time. They have established relationships with folks that have helped them previously. And we would be foolish to not take advantage of you know, folks that are capable systems integrators in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of the ones that you named, right? These are really good houses that have established histories, know how to deploy robots. What they needed was that piece of technology that unlocks the application. And that's the perception piece. And that's why, you know, uh, we've been able to sort of build this community. And that's the way we view it. You know, it's, uh, you, you said earlier, it's like, it feels like a family reunion here, yeah. right? Uh, this is an industry where, um, you know, there's a lot of good people in a lot of different, you know, capacities and system integration and OEMs and such. Uh, you know, we can make it work, and it's all to the benefit of the warehouse operator. Uh, and, you know, so let's go. Yeah. So we're talking about benefits to warehouse operators. I think that leads into this another idea of how do we benefit people? And there's yeah. this fantastic slogan that, you know, first of all, I want to know how it came up with, but it's this idea of robots work, people rule. First of all, how did you come up with that? Because I absolutely love that idea. What? And then explain more. Why is that why is that so important for people to understand? Because there's this whole idea that robots are taking jobs, they're doing this, they're gonna destroy things. That's not the case. Let's dive in. Okay, well, if you love robots work, people rule, and that really does encapsulate our whole vibe at Plus One, all right? You're going to love this story even better. Uh, Paul Voss is our my co-founder. Yep. Paul's mom came up with this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. When you have three engineers talking about, you know, mottos, we came up with robots work, people are better, and, you know, it just did not roll off the tongue, and she's like, you knuckleheads, robots work, people rule. And we're like, done. Okay? Mic drop. And, and, and for our listeners, you do have T-shirts that say this, right? Absolutely. Okay. It is our make, hashtag. Make one, make one, make, just wanted to make sure everyone listening knew that those were out there. Yeah, you can rep the merch for plus one and get you a hashtag robots work people rule shirt for sure. Um, but it's not a tagline. It's the way we view the world, right? And... Uh, I guess I've just been doing robots for so long, guys, that I have become a human exceptionalist. People are better than robots at everything that matters, right? The only thing that the robot has going for it is its endurance and its physical memory. Hardly the qualities we enjoy in each other. Yeah, absolutely. Right? (laughs) So, you know, you want to acknowledge just people are awesome. And heck, I'm not alone in this, right? Elon Musk had to come to that. Yeah. Remember when he was struggling with the line and he was like, hey, right? So um, when you build your solutions human-centric, right? 
when you acknowledge that people really are fundamentally superior, then you land at supervised autonomy and human in the loop, mm -hmm. right? Which is the way that we approach the problem. Yeah, we've got all kinds of great AI. Our computer vision is, you know, world-class and the robot is going to work independently for the bulk of its cycles. But every once in a while, it's going to cry uncle. It's going to say, I got nothing. Help me out. And having that human on, in the loop, on call, and having that be so responsive so quickly, that human element is where it's at. And that is why the company's called Plus One. Oh, Because Ooh, you nice. add one human being to this network of robots and watch just how much more uptime you get, how much more efficient the whole thing runs. Your OEE numbers look so much better. Why? Because you put a smart human into the mix. So we're talking humans, and, and I was sitting in the conference yesterday, I thought this term, robot wrangler, you know? Yeah. And how do we get more robot wranglers? How do we get more people in the workforce development, which is another huge thing you're passionate about, yeah. Eric. You know, how do we get more people in this workforce development to come to manufacturing, to be the next person who's driving purpose and ruling these robots in facilities? Yeah, so uh, workforce development, for one, man, I'm glad in the, I'm in the robotics space, right? Because you see younger and younger folks starting to get exposure for robotics much, much sooner in their lives, mm -hmm. right? I mean, can you think of another technology where if you graduate with a four-year college degree, on day one of your job, you could have had experience maybe six, eight, 10 years worth? Because by the time you did first, then you did, you know, high school robotics. Yep. And then in your engineering program in school, it was a robotics capstone. Robotics has become the teaching vehicle for engineering. Absolutely. Right? So, hey, at least the robot folks, we've got people in our pipeline. But when you look at the broader logistics space, you need a lot more operators. You need a lot more technicians. And that's where I really see the emphasis on workforce development having to happen. Those are your robot wranglers mm -hmm. or robot Sherpas, as somebody calls them, or as Plus One calls them, crew chiefs. Nice. Right? Uh, yes, I thought you had the proper term. I like robot Sherpa. That was my favorite that, that came out of yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, and so crew chiefing is this notion that, hey, we're elevating your work. You are responsible. You are now in management. I mean, if you're on a ship, the chief is in charge, right? So uh, that's how we kind of arrived at that. But, um, you know, workforce development and our responsibility as automation suppliers to ensuring the upskilling of the folks that now have to, you know, run, maintain, manage, and you know, benefit from these robots is one we have to take seriously or you're just a vendor. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot of ground in this little 11 minute slot that we had. So as we wrap up, what's the way to connect, the best way to connect with Plus One Robotics? Uh, you know, we love to engage on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, we have a very vibrant community uh, there on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find us on Twitter at Plus One Robotics and uh, of course, plusonerobotics.com. 
Ooh, nice announcer voice. Yeah, I've been finding you on Twitter all week. That's where I've been at. So for those of you out there, check out Plus One Robotics. Give them a follow. Oh, and I ha- Jake is pointing out one more thing I need to uh, mention before we wrap up. Plus One Robotics here at AMRL was the first company to collect all the little Lego mini minifigures of myself and Jake and, and our buddy Aaron Prather as well. Somebody has to be number one. Let it be plus one. Right. Well done. Ooh, that also had a nice. I know, to right? Too. We can, all these we, lingos. We you know, can't, we can't top this. This is this is great. <laughs> We're out for this part of the interview. <laughs> like I said, more partnerships, Locus and Plus One Robotics. We're just going to keep those going, and we're going to keep this episode going as well. Just a quick break this time. I want to get you introduced to our next guest, Joe Gemma of Calvary Robotics. We are live here at. Uh, AMRL. We are joined by Joe Gemma, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing globally for Calvary Robotics. And Joe, since this is your, let's say, well, it's your second official manufacturing happy hour video. We've talked to you before, but we didn't get to ask this question last time. If we were having this conversation over a drink in your home turf of Rochester, where would we be doing that right now? Um, and what would we be having this? Let's see. I would probably recommend. Can I recommend restaurants? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's a neat little restaurant right in the Webster area. So we're actually in Webster, just outside of Rochester. Mm-hmm. It's called JoJo's. It has nothing to do with my name. Yeah. But it's called JoJo's. But it's really is a nice ambiance. It's one of the things they really do well there is in, in restaurants like that. The noise abatement can be a real challenge. Yeah. They've done a great job with that. So it's a great place. So when we do that the next time, okay. I'll invite you there. We'll go to JoJo's. All right. Well, I look JoJo's forward. JoJo's it is. Yeah. Next conversation at JoJo's, but we are here at the AMRL conference right now. And Jake, you are our resident robotics expert, really. Actually, I'm between two robotics experts, but I want to give you the first proper question of this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So we're at the AMRL conference, and Calvary Robotics has been doing industrial robotic integration, collaborative robotic integration for for years. Mm -hmm. And your experience going back to the International Federation of Robotics, you're on the boards at A3 and RIA. Why is... AMRs, the future of a lot of industries, and why is it important as a systems integrator who has been doing custom machines for so many years, why is this conference important to you? It's a great question. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. In fact, you know, I like to say this is probably, at least in the last five years, one of the most disruptive technologies we've seen in our industry. And as you said, I've been around a long time, and there's been some other really game-changing things. Collaborative Robots was one of them a few years ago, and that really made a difference in what we were able to do in, in different environments. Prior to that, maybe software. It, you Think about the mechanics of the industrial traditional robots. It's been around a long time. It's a pretty mature technology. Even in the early days, the gearing and motors, that wasn't really earth-shattering. It's gotten better through the years, yep. for sure. But software was a big leap. That made a big difference to be able to implement te- technology in manufacturing and processes. And then uh, Collaborative was another kind of big leap, and it's still growing, but that was, and this is the, and probably comparing those three as big, if not bigger. And the reason I say that is disruptive in that, think about the traditional way we've used robots, and people think about the automotive, that's what the vision comes to everybody's mm-hmm. head, welding the things. Well, you think about how we handle that. We took the product to a place and said, okay, do this robot automation. Whatever it was, assembly or welding or drilling or processing, whatever it was, we asked to do it at that location, right? We brought it to the location. AMRS is a whole new venture that way. We can bring automation to a process. So there's areas today that we can address we never could. A good example uh, that 
struggle with trying to use automation is the, uh, say, the wind blade manufacturing. Mm -hmm. they, in fact, because of the science and the, the technology, materials technology changes, they've been able to get those to make them longer and longer, benefit by that whole motion of what that can do. But if you automated it, you'd be kind of in a fixed location, the typical traditional way to automate. You'd be in a fixed location, you had to work around that location. So if you made it longer, okay, I can't use the automation anymore. Mm -hmm. So you gotta throw that aside again. Well, with the advent of AMRs and a robot mounted on it, let's say cleaning the edge, or they didn't really clean it, they kind of polish the edge of those. Doesn't matter. If it goes from 10 meter to 20 meter to 30 meter, the AMR with a robot on it can traverse that whole length Make it 35 and a half meters, doesn't yeah. really care. It can traverse along that. So that's that's an area we, in the past, never would address it, have people. And they and up until now, that's how they did it. They had people along the edge of those blades and trying to smooth that out and make that look, well, get the benefit of the aerodynamics, et cetera. So that, that's one. Think about other new areas like um, construction. You talked about it at this conference, in fact. Mm -hmm. Construction areas that... that you couldn't do that with a traditional robot. How do you bring a building yeah. to a robot? You can't. You need to bring the automation to to the, the building. A another is agriculture, and that's a growing mm -hmm. area, and I think we'll see a lot of growth in that area in the coming years, particularly because of AMRs and the ability to move technology around the processes. And that's indoor and outdoor agricultural environments. So it's really a game changer. I, mm -hmm. I know that term is overused, but maybe, but it really is a game changer. It's disruptive technology that we're going to see it uh, implemented more and more. So we're talking about different disruptive technologies. We're talking about solutions. From a systems integrator, from a custom machine builder, there's a bunch of terminologies that mm -hmm. people use in the industry. There's a dozen, two dozen different manufacturers here of AMRs and AGVs, mm -hmm. autonomous forklifts. What types of solutions or what types of, um, I guess, decision matrix are you guys putting in to determine what value here or what, what type of company here is bringing the most value to a systems integrator? When you're adding a project and there's dozens of different options, what's your decision to go with one a type of brand? Another great question. And as a systems integrator, you probably recognize we don't necessarily work on a particular product OEM platform. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's, it is dictated by the customer and what they use and technologies they're, they're familiar with. Um, but often they'll come to us and say, we want the best technology. And that's what we'll look at. Sometimes it's form, function, and you know, some are larger, some are smaller. Some can traverse different areas in terms of the floor management. So we'll look at it from that perspective from those technologies. Uh, one thing I'd like to say, though, one of the bigger challenges, and it was touched on a, a little bit earlier in, in the panel discussion, is the, um, I'll say, the intellectual property s situation for us. Because more and more of our customers are saying, well, I want to use that type. I don't want to name brands because I want to be fair. But sure. I want to use that brand over here to do this. And I want to use this brand over here to do this. But I really would like them to be able to talk to each other. And that's one of the challenges, intellectual property. Same with the, with the uh, traditional robots. And it was touched on on that panel and saying, we need to find a way to be able to communicate across those, whether it's enterprise level or some other level of, of software management, or whether or not we get somebody like, a, 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 you know, the, there's a Ross or Microsoft's come up with a plan to try to have a, a homogeneous programming language management, uh, you, as many, as you say, keywords are used mm -hmm. to that, but it's critical to have that to be able to work because there's different technologies have different capabilities and we could utilize those together and the customers recognize that. Over here in this area, and I'm just pointing to that space, but I want to use this technology, 
but it doesn't really help me because I want that connectivity. I want that information. So now I'm stuck with saying, okay, I can only use this supplier because I use that technology already and I can't do this process with that other technology because it doesn't talk to it. So I, I think that's the bigger challenge we, we got to work on going forward as an industry. I, I think it is being addressed. That's why at the panel they brought that point up that they recognize that that is a market push and I think we'll see it. I use an analogy um, like the cell phones, and I know you guys are too young for that, but when the uh, <laughs> cell phones first came out, there was kind of proprietary situations where if you weren't on the same plan, you couldn't talk to my cell phone. Yeah. It sounds almost illogical. I vaguely remember this now that Dude, you bring it up, yeah. actually. Yeah, no, no, I do remember those days. We were around with dial-up internet, right? We're not that young. Come on. <laughs> I know, but it, it just didn't even sound logical that you would have something like that, but as a as a market said this is going to work for us we got to push this to have something where we can talk across those platforms mm -hmm. i think we're going to see the same thing going forward across these technologies you're seeing just a great dynamic time of technology growth and technology investments and and investments in in trying to bring new technologies to different markets i think this will be the push from the market to say if you want to do this we got to be able to communicate across this so last question, because we got to jump back into the sessions. We've been here half a day so far. We've been through a lot of great discussions around workforce. We've been talking about the logistics companies of the mm -hmm. future. What's one th uh, new thing that you've learned from being here today or maybe an aha moment you've had? You know, I, and so I don't know if you, you, know, you both know Eric Nieves, and he's a, he's mm -hmm. a gifted speaker, certainly very, very intelligent, um, maybe, maybe one of the smartest people in the industry. Uh, but he said something, and somebody else picked up on it today, and I, and I think his really key message we have to get out there is with the advent of new technologies, technology, we need more technologists. And mm -hmm. that's something we have to continue to do. It's nice to see that people recognize it's a challenge. We, we have to, and I, and I heard today with FedEx, and the, the aha moment for me, that FedEx investing in that. They're investing in educational environments, working together with business and education to, to be able to support that workforce skill development, et cetera. I, I, it's a big pat on the back, but for me, it was an aha moment. I didn't realize it big companies like that were making that kind of investment and we need it so i'm very proud of what they're doing and i think that that from so far a lot i learned but that was a key thing for us as an industry new technologists needed in industry joe if we want to connect with calvary robotics where do we do that Go to our website if you can, and that's pretty simple. It's calvaryrobotics.com, or you can certainly reach out to me at any time, and my email is jgemma at calvaryrobotics.com. Perfect. Well, hey, Joe, thanks for jumping on. Thanks, thanks for having you. me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Likewise. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. All right, halfway through, and you might have picked up on this when we were talking to Eric. We're going to be talking about the technologies behind AMRs in addition to the AMRs themselves quite a bit. So our next conversation, we're going to be exploring how AMRs and other assets within inside a facility are able to dynamically interact and communicate with one another. Let's get you introduced to our next guest. All right, we are back. We are joined by Ryan Finelli at Humatics. And uh, as we get rolling into this, you might want to jump a little closer to the microphone sure. as well, just uh, just so we can hear you. But we want to learn a bit more about who Humatics is. And the way we'll do this on Manufacturing Happy Hour, the only way to absolutely uh, appropriate way to start is, if we were having this conversation over a beer right now, how would you describe yeah. it in simplest terms as to what you guys do? Yeah, so Humatics basically has two business entities, um, kind of, overarching view we're a location company so we started in uwb ultra wideband 
that side of the business really focused on rail, tracking trains, their acceleration, their whereabouts on the track. We took that and we made a separate division that I work with called Milo. It's kind of our micro-location side of it. And that's more precision in smaller cones of coverage. Um, so more industry-based rather than out in subway stations. Um, so, so I think for our audience that might just be learning about this for the first time, ultra-wideband versus micro-location. Can you give a quick example of each of those just to paint the yeah, picture yeah. for someone listening? Uh, just two different medians of how it's done. So my side, micro-location, uses radio frequency, just a higher frequency way of doing it, ultra-wideband. Um, sort of gives you a larger cone of coverage, larger area, but really the way I explain it to people who don't really know anything about it is it's like having GPS inside in a smaller area, knowing exactly where moving dots are in a given area. That's how I describe it. So we are at the Autonomous Mobile Robot Logistics Conference. You're walking around, you're checking out the exhibitors, you're listening to a lot of the keynotes, which um, so far we've had like four or five keynotes phenomenal takeaways why is it important when we're talking about um you know micro location of a lot of product why is it important for end users for 3pls all these different companies that have a lot of product and a warehouse or manufacturing facility what is the problem that we're solving with this solution you know I, I, we have a lot of listeners that that listen to the manufacturing happy hour i'm one of them happen to be an advocate you know an avid listener what, what problems are you guys addressing in the industry? Yeah. So the, the most confusing portion of it was people hear micro-location. They think, okay, where's my stuff? That's really not what we're going after. It's more so in given small areas, how exactly are assets that are totally unrelated. We could have, for example, a UR5 arm trying to talk to an Omron to pick something up. How are those two communicating with each other? A lot of times they have to go to a given coordinate setting, stop register an image or register that they're there and then they can go and grab something. What we're doing is we're putting transponders on these assets. They all know where they are at exactly the same time. That's tied back into the program. And these can dynamically interact with each other now um, in these given spaces. So we're providing um, basically the ability, the coordinates to communicate with each other um, all at the same time. You know, Chris, this reminds me of a conversation we had earlier with Joe talking about some of the issues that system integrators face. When they're out here, they're doing integration of PLCs, sensors, products, and then different solutions in the industry as well, such as autonomous mobile robots and six access robots and all these different products. That's kind of a, a problem that you guys are fixing in the industry is how are these communicating and, and collaborating with one another in these spaces. And to add to that, you're exactly right. I mean, we sell the hardware and the software portion of it, right? But more importantly, we're just selling you live 3D locational data. It's how I like to think of it. We're gonna give you the data and the information. Whatever you choose to do with it um, could be completely up to you. It's however it's gonna benefit um, your given use case or your given operation, so. And, and you know, as, as we're wrapping up this portion of our rapid fire conversations what's the best way to connect with humatics to continue to learn more about you guys yeah i would say first and foremost um, check out our website um i can give you guys my information if you want to throw it out to everybody but absolutely sure. yeah definitely check out our website um we're happy to interact and talk with anybody we can over zoom learning exactly where we fit into the market so is that humatics.com or what's okay yep, humatics.com yeah. perfect and All that's right. h-u H-U-M-A-T-I-C-S. No N. No, no N, because I've been yes. saying humantics. <laughs> it's humatics. Yes, very important for an audio podcast to get that right Absolutely. for the folks uh, listening there. So, Jake, anything else you want to wrap up with? No, thanks so much for, uh, for being on with us, Ryan. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Really Cheers, Ryan. It. Thanks yeah. so much. 
All right, everyone, let's give it up for Ryan Finelli. And of course, if you want to learn more about any of the people and the companies that we talked to in this episode, if you want to find a way to connect with them, head on over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash AMRL2021 for all the links we mentioned in this episode. Now we've been talking about technology, it's time to talk about safety, and we gave a shout out to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, right at the start of this episode, and our next guest is actually a part of that organization. We're going to get you introduced to her right now for a great conversation around safety and standards. We are joined by Carol Franklin, and you are the Director of Standards Development for Robotics with A3. And this is an interesting title because before we started recording this interview, I I was really focused on safety, right? The the safety standards that we have for robotics and mobile robotics. And Jake, you were like, well, it's it's standards in general, Mm -hmm. right? So, Carol, where's the focus supposed to be? That would be my first question. Yeah, actually, um, A3 and uh, our predecessor organization, RIA, you know, we've been involved in the safety standards for industrial robots since 1982. So that's almost 40 years. And clearly we believe that safety standards are really of crucial importance to the success of our industry. Now, having said that though, there are a lot of other standards being made and used. You know, we've got interoperability standards. We had a talk about that this morning. And um, there are a number of other standards around the world. And in the US, we, we operate in the ANSI framework. So if you've, you've heard of ANSI standards and our robot safety standards are ANSI standards in the US. But we also work in ISO and in ISO, we administer ANSI's membership or the US's membership in ISO technical committee or TC 299 robotics. So that's a mouthful, but basically TC 299 robotics is where we, we have a lot of involvement. And TC 299 robotics has, um, an ever-growing number of working groups, or WGs. And I'm going to be sp- spouting out this alphabet soup because that's the world of standards. So yeah, <laughs> welcome right, to my right. world. <laughs> yeah. There will be a lot of acronyms uh, yeah. <laughs> during this uh, short I podcast. think safety standards are the one area, or standards <laughs> in general, is the one area where I make an exception around alphabet soup, right? It's almost impossible to talk through that without without going into that. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the ISO TC299 with its multiple working groups, there's, you know, there's service robot sa- safety, there's industrial robot safety, there's vocabulary and characteristics, there's medical robot safety, there's service robot performance, there's modularity for service robots. So there's all these different working groups in ISO TC299, and they are cranking out standards, not all of which have to do with safety. So um, in, in our conception of the world from the RIA slash A3 point of view, you know, safety and standards have gone together very closely for f- almost 40 years. But in fact, uh, safety and standards are two separate topics. <laughs> so. Well, well, of these two, where do where do we want? Uh, maybe, maybe let's start with safety, though, at the end sure. of the day, right? Because sure. I think the comment that you made is one of the big paradigm shifts. Is that for the longest time it was robots and cells, robots separate from from people. Now, as we have AMRs, there's a lot more interaction. The robot can come up to you. So, what are 
what do you see happening there? What are what type of work are you doing there right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the the as I said, we've been working on this since the early '80s, and that for most of that time, the main paradigm has been you keep people safe around industrial robots by keeping them separated from industrial robots, and that's in the cell that you talked about. And then about 10 or 15 years ago, we started getting into collaborative robotics in which it now became possible that you could keep people safe despite the fact that they were physically in close proximity to the robot. So uh, in the past five or so years, we've had an even further paradigm shift, which is now the robot can approach you, which is what you just said. So um, so in, in that in those paradigm shifts, we, we have to it, we have to come to a whole new way of thinking about how to keep people safe. So, you know, for um, basically, we, we always in the safety standards world, we're always thinking about uh, the risks, identifying hazards, mitigating risks, and um, basically that mobile robot, <laughs> uh, it 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 has its own little envelope of risks and hazards that it it takes along with it. And so we have to manage the risks. So it it might be as simple as the person doesn't know the mobile robot came up behind them and they turn around and trip over it. I mean, that's not the, it's not on the same level as some of the risks you used, you would get with your more traditional or, or conventional industrial robots where, you know, the risks can be much greater, but you know, nevertheless, that is a risk and you have to manage it. And so, um, we, in R1508, that is our latest standard, we've, um, you know, we've, we've basically said we think that the, the safety capabilities have to live on board the mobile robot unit so that even in the case of loss of communication, for example, the mobile unit still has full safety capabilities. So that's one thing that we have, have had in mind in order to keep people safe when the robot can approach them. I think that's a big thing that, you know, what you just said really made me think about this. For the longest time, robotics and automation was a, uh, a physical set point where I had a robot cell, I had you know, things moving around. I knew its exact location, where it would be at all the times, so, you know, if there was gates. There, it wasn't moving, where this whole idea over now we're at the AMRO conference, all of these robots are moving around now. And unknown and and not necessarily unknown but changing variable environments just even outside of the human operator themselves so when we're looking at these standards we have to really design for adaptability and variability within within our systems and go ahead no 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 after you i want to hear your thought well uh the other thing to keep in mind is the importance of the risk assessment so in r1506 the fixed-in-place robot arm, the conventional cell, you know, the, the, conducting a risk assessment for each one of those systems is a requirement. And and when you move into your paradigm shift of collaborative robotics and now mobile robot mobile robotics, um, in fact, that risk assessment becomes even more important and in some ways more challenging, because you know in the conventional world you could say, well, yes, that's a very important hazard, and we're going to put a fence around it; no one can go near it the end. Now, though, with collaborative, you have this is a risk, and now we have to calculate the speed and separation monitoring. We have to calculate safe separation distance. We have to calculate the power and forces that the thing is limited to so that if it does contact a human, there won't be any pain. So um, that's a lot more complicated than just put a fence around it, you know? And so that's 
that's also the case with the with the mobile robots as well. And with the mobile robots, you have to, it's so important that you talk about the whole environment, the whole operating environment in which that mobile unit is going to be used. And in fact, um, you know, Melanie Wise made that point this morning in her talk about how important it is to do a risk assessment and the fact that the risk assessment has to be a living document. You have to take into account the entire environment, any changes in the environment, any changes to your mobile robot system, um, it, and continue to update your risk assessment as those changes occur. Yeah, I think that's one of those things right now. We look at robotics no longer in terms of a, um, a controlled process solution. There's a lot of flexibility designed in robotics now, and, and, and we're, de we're designing flexible systems, as you mentioned, where our environment's consistently changing. And we need to design flexibility within our standards and also within our solutions as well for a consistently changing environment. And, and as we wrap up, I guess any final thoughts for the manufacturing and robotics leaders out there that are listening to this, a final piece of actionable takeaway before uh, we get back to the conference here? Well, of course, I would say it's very important that you get to know your standards. So uh, if you, for example, in the U.S., in the U.S., we have ANSI standards. And ANSI standards are what is known as voluntary industry consensus standards. And voluntary means they're not written into law. OSHA doesn't say, you know, you have to comply with this standard. However, we have an alliance with OSHA, and OSHA does respect our standards, as they respect many other consensus standards for other industries as well. And if, if you have an incident in your facility and OSHA comes and asks you, well, does this system comply with the standard in, in the case of fixed-in-place robot arms, R1506, in the case of mobile robots, uh, R1508, uh, or possibly B56-5 if it's an AGV, OSHA will ask you, does the system comply with that standard? And if you say, what standard? That's not going to be a good look for you. <laughs> so if you say, uh, no, it doesn't comply, there's going to be a question as to why it didn't. You know, what, what in your risk assessment made you think it was okay not to comply with that? And so, you know, <laughs> It, it's so important to get to know what's in the standards. It's important to get to know what are the capabilities of your machine uh, and, and how those two things work together, the, the machine and the standards. All right, ladies and gentlemen, get to know your standards. <laughs> this has been Carol Franklin from the Association for Advancing Automation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, one more segment to go in this first half of our AMR and Logistics Leaders double bonus episode. And quite frankly, we couldn't pick a better spot to end on for today's set of conversations. We've talked a lot about technology and the human element and safety and standards, but one thing we haven't talked about is the ecosystem and the community and inspiring and helping the next generation get into this space. Let's talk to someone that's been a mentor in this space to a number of companies. I'm excited to get you introduced to this next guest. Well, this is exciting because this is the first time we've really been able to do like a, a proper manufacturing happy hour conversation and that it's actually happy hour and we have some beverages. So first order of business. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Excellent. Cheers. I like the clink in yeah. front of the uh, in front of the microphone as well. That was good form. And in in all of these interviews that we've doing, I've normally been doing the intros, but Jake, you've been working on your intro 
for this gentleman since last night. So I will pass the mic to you to lead this off. Oh, fantastic. Well, first of all, this is Roger Christian. He is the divisional leader, new business development at Yaskawa America, Inc., Motoman Robotics Division. Did I get that right? Uh, that's a mouthful. But oh. Yes, you did. Perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. So, first of all, just thanks again for, for coming on the, the Happy Hour um, show. We're really excited about some stuff. So, the first thing I want to say is, is I'm going to list a couple of companies um, that we've all been listening, hearing in the news, hearing in the venture capital world, in the robotics world, and uh, a lot of great conversations. So, Path Robotics, Ready Robotics, Plus One Robotics, Mujin, Ambi Robotics and many other companies that are really all over the, the news right now have something in common, and that's you, Roger. <laughs> and, and, and in a short sense, you know, give us the introduction. What what do all those companies mean to you, and to what's really happened over the last four or five years in terms of startups? Yeah, absolutely. The interesting thing is, is you know. We've been selling robots in the traditional markets. Uh, Dirty Danger is dull, and you know automotive is 65% of the robot markets five years ago, and we're seeing that change. And the only way we can do that is to team up with these technology companies that are making our robots smarter and, and work in unstructured environments. So uh, I am all about supporting these startups with our industry knowledge, our application knowledge, as well as our robots. You want robots? We'll give you robots. You know, you want to develop an interface for our robot? Tell us what more you need based, uh, you know, beyond what we already can offer you in our SDK. Absolutely. So for those of you who are not familiar with these companies, these companies are startups. I would say primarily in the last five years or so, many of these companies have, have really come to mark to market with new products and new solutions and the robotics AI space. As a summary, robotics and automation, just as you said, Roger, has been around for decades. But what we're seeing more and more is this new solution that's coming to market and how robotics and AI are collaborating and creating new solutions and opportunities together. Absolutely. Many of these companies have received now hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, venture capital over the past few years, but they started years before that VC was funding, working with Yaskawa, Yaskawa with their Motoman Robotics Division on you providing them, basically renting low cost, free of charge, a bunch of options to help them develop those systems. Why, why is that important? I mean, when we look at the industry and the growth that's happening right now, why is that such a key play? Well, first of all, the, yeah, as a startup or even pre-seed money, right? You know, angel investors and whatnot, they don't have the cash to lay out for a thirty, forty thousand dollar robot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and you know, it's it's not a big cost to us to do that, but the, the payoff is fantastic. It's it's like a v, we're kind of playing a, like a VC role, yeah. or you know, we know that if we get robots out to twenty and two hit it, boom, we're we're golden, and we we increase our volume of robots. It also teaches us what we need to learn about new industries, how to prepare for that, and and support the industry and be able to ramp up for them. I mean, some of the numbers that are being projected in the logistics market, food service market, and others is astronomical in, in terms of the growth. So well, we all, all the big four robot companies depended on automotive and metals market for so long, and it was cyclical, right? You, you know, it was up one year, down the next, and, and now it just keeps growing 
uh, and now we are being able to help support this huge labor shortage we have, increased wages, and solving problems for end users like FedEx that sponsored this show yeah absolutely and for those of you who can't see what we're looking at right now aaron uh is is sitting off to the corner right now listening to this conversation episode 52 of manufacturing happy hour if you want to get to know him a little more (laughs) but there's the plug right there so always got to go back to the old episodes you you mentioned industries roger i think this goes to our next you know question it's not just robotics that you guys are caring about right now in terms of startups it's also the collaboration with other products and solutions you know vision companies is one that comes to mind as an example you know why is it important for you guys to collaborate with products that are beyond just the typical you know robot solution that you got that people normally tend to think of i think you wants to be put in a position where you know we're subject matter experts and then we can start up a lot of startups are you know right out of cmu or mit and have no clue you know what a a sensor is or how to hook things up or make them robust so that's the kind of things we can do and as we you know help them we also learn about more about what sensors are available that they can use for higher res or lower res and cost performance and things like that so we want to be able to help them help industry and help us at the end of the day so is is that ultimately why you put such an emphasis on startups because of an all ships rise with the tide scenario? Can you go into why maybe you personally are so passionate about helping these young companies? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've been in the robot market since 1981, mm-hmm. right? Started at Bendix Robotics uh, when they had they thought they had to make a robot to compete with Cincinnati Millicrons. And those are long gone, you know, robotic companies. But uh, I lived 30 years through what I call Robots 1.0, which is the same old kind of stuff. And, you know, we improve the peripherals, we improve the performance, we uh, improve ROI, but we're not doing exciting things. And I always like exciting things. And these are bringing us new opportunities in markets that we never thought we could put a robot in. Robots are, you know, five years ago or eight years ago are stupid, right? You program them, they do the same thing all the time. As you start adding external sensors to the robot, then all of a sudden it can do some pretty amazing stuff. So personally, as a technical person that loves the technology, I get jazzed, you know, Mm -hmm. to see these things. When Path came to me and said, five years ago out of Case Western, two young brothers, and they said, hey, we want to we want to take robots and make them weld without programming them. I'm going, okay. <laughs> Let's so, see how that's going to work. So I think that jumps to this, this next question here. We're talking about technology. We're talking about, you know, having robots weld without programming. I think that kind of dives into a little bit on the SDK and the open source that you guys are supplying these startups. Right. So we have a uh, platform called Moto Plus SDK, C, C, C++ programming environment, and allows access to our hundreds of API calls out of our controller for polling the robot, telling it what to do, streaming points to it. And within the Moto Plus, we wrote a pretty robust ROS industrial driver. So a lot of these startups start with ROS because it's a toolbox of things already developed that they don't have to start from scratch. It accelerates their development. It's a recipe they can kind of pick from to, to it's, grow. It's, it's pretty amazing. And the ROS Industrial you know, Consortium, managed by Swery, 
is a great place for startups to start with. And it's, you know, it's globally um, uh, uh, contributed to every day, you know. So um, that, that really, having that open source SDK allows them to easily hook into a robot. And some companies want to stream real-time points to the robot. Others want to tell the robot, here's where you got to go and the robot takes over from there. So there's two philosophies on how that works. I have a bit of a, a personal question now. You mentioned you've been doing this since 1981. You have four decades of experience to, that you've been sharing with us. But there, like, like we mentioned, there are a lot of young robotics companies out there. What's like one of the best pieces of career advice that you received that you'd recommend, especially to these younger companies, whether they're earlier in their career or just new to the robotics space? Network, connect with people. And, and rely on people for help when you need it. And the other piece of advice I, I gave to a, a startup that got bought by Boston Dynamics was don't get excited with your first round. Be, be, you know, be frugal. Don't get the nice furniture in the big office. Save your money and put it into your technology. And he reminded me of that after he got bought. He said, thank you for that advice. So robots, in, in a sense, and I think this kind of leads to the next question. You know, um, Clint, who we all know as well from from you know Yaskawa, has a super big passion for this. And robotics, in a sense, is being used as a robot platform for startups. And what a lot of these startups are solving right now is the skill shortage and the labor shortage that's happening in the industry. There's there's so many conversations around robots and jobs, and there's a lot of controversial conversations, but the one thing I would say when I look at almost every single one of these startups right now, Path Robotics, Ready Robotics, Plus One Robotics, they're all solving or, or, or bringing tools to the industry of major problems when it comes to the labor shortage. You know, why, why is that such a key thing for the robotics industry right now that by using these startups and, and, and taking the robotic platform beyond just material handling to an AI-based solution, how is that helping companies in this, in this you know, workforce issue that we're facing right now? Well, you answered your question with the question. It was like, yeah, there's a tremendous labor shortage and people don't, don't want these nasty jobs or these repetitive jobs. And and uh, COVID has kind of changed a lot of people's attitudes about even going back to work for 10, 12, 15 bucks an hour. And, you know, humans are meant to do more meaningful work yeah. than do this every day and sort packages or well. And, you know, even in welding, I mean, the average welder is 55 years old, right? You mm -hmm. told me that, Jake. Yep. I thought I was older, but 55, and it's not a glamorous job. Young kids aren't going into welding. So how do you solve that problem? Um, especially the problem we've always had in arc welding, which is a big part of our, you know, heritage, is we're really good at justifying uh, high volume, low mix. So you, pr you put all the energy in the programming at first and then it just makes a million parts. Yep. But in the job shops and the people making, you know, uh, l low volume, high mix, it was always too much of a pain to reprogram the robot to do that next run of 50 parts or 20 parts. So people like Path and, and uh, others are making that a no-brainer, right? And the whole thought of, you know, robot as a service versus CapEx, uh, that's getting thrown in the mix too with the, the whole startup industry because VCs like the RAS, yeah. right? 
And, uh, and customers are still deciding, right, Aaron? <laughs> Whether that makes sense. <laughs> Awesome. So, so as, as we wrap this up, you know, we, we've been doing these quick hit interviews throughout the course of the conference so far. One of my favorite questions to ask that I haven't gotten a chance to ask yet, is there something you wish we would have asked you? We've talked career, talked startups, talked robotics. Is there anything or any parting words of advice that you might have as we close this out? <laughs> killing me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Obviously, go visit our booth at the Yaskawa booth. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> this will come out after that anyway. So Yeah. I think it's listen to the customer's needs. Yeah. You know, how do you do that? And, and then steer our 30, 40 years of, you know, experience, Clint and I and the rest of the Yaskawa team help steer the startups to make a meaningful product at a, at a reasonable price point, right? And remember that, you know, you have... Three thousand dollars worth of hardware, a couple cameras, and an IPC. Don't sell it for forty grand, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you took it down to nineteen, you'd sell twenty times more. Yeah. So, that's well, my advice to startups. No, I, don't I, overprice your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> good, good pricing tips. At the end. Well, hey, if you are a startup out there, the best advice, the best, the best call to action, I think we can have is well connect with Roger, yeah. right? You've seen it all. You know it all. And that list you rattled off at the start, Jake, like that's, uh, that, that I'm sure it's only going to continue to grow. Yeah. So, hey, one I'm more. I'm flattered. T- Thank you. Yeah. No, Roger, it's been great having you on. One final cheers. Cheers. As we wrap this up. This has been great. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks guys. Jake, Chris. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cheers. All right, folks, there you go. That's six interviews with six leaders in the robotics and AMRs and logistics world. But that's only halfway, right? we got another episode coming out later this week. We're going to feature the second half of our interviews. You'll get more conversations. You'll get more Jake. You'll get more trade show banter. It's going to be a good time. I'm excited to get that one out to you. But before then, I do want to give another big thank you to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. If you can't tell... A lot of us in this space have a lot of fun together, and quite frankly, it's those folks that help bring us together on a regular basis. A3 is always doing cool shows. They have their annual business forum coming up in early 2022 in the winter. It's right at the end of January, beginning of February, and then Automate, their big show taking place in Detroit, June 2022. I definitely recommend checking that one out because you're going to hear a lot more about that on the show coming up as well. Quite frankly, even if you listen to this a year down the line, you can count on A3 doing a number of great type of events. So again, A3 Association for Advancing Automation. You can find more about them at automate.org. And with that, that's it for this week. No, it's not because we got another episode coming out later this week. So we will see you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.